Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominees are Elizabeth Taylor in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Vanessa Redgrave in Morgan, Anouk Ami, A Man and a Woman, Lynn Redgrave in Georgie Girl, Ida Kaminska in The Shop on Main Street, all legal and upright. And the winner is Miss Elizabeth Taylor. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1967 Ceremony Year win for Elizabeth Taylor for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uh, This was a very, very interesting year. Just a couple facts off the top before we jump into it. Uh, Best Actor went to Paul Schofield for A Man for All Seasons. Uh, for all, yes, for all seasons. Best supporting actor went to Walter Matto for The Fortune Cookie. Best supporting actress went to Sandy Dennis for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, the only person in that movie that actually seemed drunk. That's another conversation for later. Best picture, <laughs> yeah. Uh, best picture uh, went to A Man for All Seasons, and best director went to Fred Zinneman for directing A Man for All Seasons. Um, today I am joined by a friend, a TV writer, a comedian, and also just a lovely human being. Uh, she's a writer um, on the TV show, the hit TV show, Son of a Critch, which was nominated for many Canadian Screen Awards. She also has a podcast about the WNBA called The Pickup. Uh, it's Catherine Niker. Hey, Catherine. Hello. How are you? I am actually super busy these days in a good way, so I'm I'm happy. I'm happy. How are you? Oh. Love it. Booked and blessed. Booked. And that's exactly it. I am booked and I am blessed. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also Pride Week this week. That's right. Which I'm very excited about. Um, got lots of plans coming up. I actually even purposely like didn't really drink much like this weekend to sort of save my brain cells like for <laughs> the party yeah. that's like going to be happening this weekend. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I got offered a ticket to see Shania Twain <gasps> on Friday, but I have a show. Cancel the show. Go see Shania. Really? Really? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it oh, like a, an important show? No, it, it's like, it's just, it's opening for uh, our friend Sophie Buttle uh, yeah. in Hamilton. She set it up. So I feel bad. Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like Sophie would understand, like. <laughs> yeah, I should just message her. Yeah. But I mean, you have to ask yourself, like, going to perform in Hamilton, like, does that impress you much? <laughs> I mean, no, it doesn't. <laughs> you know? So I personally would go shout see. Shout out to Hamilton, though. It's, actually <laughs> a, decent, it's a decent club. Yeah. Uh, Levity, yes, is the, the club that you yes. are referring. Um. Okay, so this was a very interesting year because, and I feel like this is going to be so disappointing to people listening, and I feel like this is this is such a controversial uh, stance to have because Elizabeth Taylor's win for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is actually regarded as one of the greatest Best Actress Oscar wins of all time, and 
okay, here we go. And I feel like I'm going to have to change my address because I'm going to be getting threats after this. Ah. This was one of my least favorite years I've ever done on this podcast. I did not really enjoy the movies. I didn't really enjoy the performances. And I found this to be a bit of a chore. And I'm I'm already bracing myself for like the death threats, but I just this wasn't this um, wasn't a, a, one of my favorite years. I'm I'm just opening with that. I'm relieved to hear you say that because <laughs> you felt you you felt the same. I felt watching these five movies this year was a bit of a chore. Yeah, it. I was really. I went into it with high expectations. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I feel so um, honestly kind of disappointed by it. But I, I, because just the way that this year is regarded, I mean, listen, just off the top, I can fully understand why Elizabeth Taylor won, like watching this. I'm like, yeah, like I get it. But I think between you and I, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that this episode is really just going to come down to personal taste. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. You know, because it's like there's certain things that I enjoyed about certain movies. And then there's other things that I didn't really enjoy about the way that these movies were um, filmed and written and edited. So, you know, uh, I think that this will be kind of an interesting year. So if anybody is like logging in to be like, oh, we're just going to be praising like the tour de force performance of Elizabeth Taylor. It's like kind of. But I honestly was expecting something maybe a little bit different. And frankly, I was a little disappointed by it. Damn. Get into it. Yeah. Um, okay. So then let's just, let's just rip the bandaid and, and jump right in. So let's start with Vanessa Redgrave in Morgan, or uh, some people may know this movie as Morgan, a suitable case for treatment. Um it actually was tricky finding this movie because I, I found it as a suitable case for treatment instead of actually just Morgan, but. Oh, that's why. Yeah. I was having a hard time finding it too. Cause I think there's just too many titles at this point that have the, the name Morgan in it. That's right. And I, I, I was having a really, a really hard time uh, finding this movie. Uh, so very quickly um, after his wife leaves him for his former best friend, a failed London artist begins his descent into madness in trying to win her back. And um, Oh, also kind of an interesting fact about this year. Um, Vanessa Redgrave's Best Actress Oscar nomination for this movie coincided with sister Lynn Redgrave's similar nomination for Georgie Girl. Such a coincidence had occurred only once before when sisters Joan Fontaine and Olivia de Havilland respectively uh, were nominated for Best Actress Oscar for Suspicion and Hold Back the Dawn, where Joan Fontaine actually won. We did that episode with Bobby Kanoff. Very fun. You should listen to that. And uh, in this case with Lynn Redgrave and Vanessa Redgrave, nobody won, but Anyway, I just thought that was kind of an interesting uh, fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vanessa Redgrave in this movie, this is certainly a role that I am not uh, f- like used to seeing her in, which was kind of um, interesting because she... Um, oh, also before we jump in, uh, David Warner, who plays Morgan, was, and it took me so long to figure this out, Lovejoy from Titanic like Cal's like hired security private what? investigator, man. That was Lovejoy where he's like, it's interesting. 
The woman fell so suddenly, yet you had time to take off your shoes and jacket. Oh my god! Yeah, that it was blew I, my mind. I know. I was like, "Why do you look so familiar?" It was Lovejoy. Yeah. I thought that too. I thought maybe he was like someone else in like a Clockwork Orange or something. Right. I've never seen that movie. Oh well, we you could do a bonus episode on that because there's like really not much uh, female representation <laughs> in the movie at all. But everybody loves that movie, and I hate it. I there's a lot of movies like that. Yeah, everyone loves it, and I just don't. I just I really don't. Yeah, I've never been a big fan of The Godfather, and that's like the movie. <laughs> I am a big fan of The Godfather. I will I, say that. I like part two. I actually very much enjoyed part two, but I didn't like the first one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's my Controversial, but fair. That's why, that's why we're here. That's right. To just tear men down. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's our mission statement. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, anyway. So, Vanessa Redgrave in this movie, she is um, – the wife that leaves Morgan and this movie is really a vehicle for Morgan. It's not really Vanessa Redgrave is what we would to today's standards call more of like a supporting role in because she's not absolutely it, the, the movie's not about her even the title role you know what I'm saying it's it's clearly not about her but she, the whole drama centers around her I suppose um so in so basically she leaves her husband Morgan for his best friend which I'm sorry that is such a bitch move to do uh that is so horrible it's so cruel oh, that, it didn't occur to me they were best friends F- well they were former best friends at, at that point in the movie when oh, we Oh yeah okay go but on. they they were best friends and um you know I I was a little curious to see if um this performance would be a little re- a little one note because I didn't really at first understand why Vanessa Redgrave was nominated for this because it kind of didn't really seem like it was asking much of her. But I think where the nomination comes in is because you can clearly tell she loves the way that he keeps trying to win her back. Mm -hmm. And that sort of complicated, toxic trait makes her character kind of interesting like whenever he literally kidnaps her and then she doesn't like just simply demand to be taken back and she kind of allows him to woo her a little bit you're like okay so you're clearly not over him and you're clearly enjoying um the madness that or the chaos and that you've kind of created a little bit. And um, I think that was kind of interesting and maybe what led to like an Oscar nomination. Um, but anyway, what, what did you think of this movie and what did you think of Vanessa Redgrave's performance? Well, the way I interpreted that was that like, you know, Morgan's this like crazy artist who is like not, I mean, I'm saying crazy, like I'm describing his art that way, but also he's not mentally well. Mm-hmm. And she kind of comes from, you know, the this guy that she, quote, falls in love with is her safety net guy, right? Like she knows that she can't have a life with this man, even though maybe that's what she would prefer. Mm-hmm. So I kind of interpreted it as like she does love him, but just knows she can't be with him. And that's why she enjoys entertaining uh his wooing attempts for you know just trying to enjoy him while it lasts knowing that it won't last very long i mean yeah i think that that's also a completely fair 
point because obviously, I mean, this man was like threatening rape and violence to get what he wants. You know, like there were so many things. Yeah, like a relationship is simply just not, it's just not possible. But I think it was more how long she let that go on for was kind of like just the thing that I found interesting about her. It's the only interesting thing about her. That's right. It really was the only interesting thing. That's yes. <laughs> Cause she disappears at one point for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and then she reappears in a convertible standing up singing and, you know, so she's obviously kind of like a wild child as the 1960s would refer to her. And, uh, she also kind of insists that like both men fight over her and she is kind of like enjoying all of that. And then he, kind of runs him over a little bit and then drags him uh, behind his convertible car while Morgan's being dragged on the cement and stuff like that. And she's kind of just loving it. Um, I think there's going to be a a theme with uh, a lot of these movies and that is people being aroused by toxic dynamics. I mean, that was kind of the theme of all of these movies. Like the whole decade. The whole decade. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, especially is, who's afraid of Virginia. That Wolf. dynamic as well. Yeah. I mean, and and I think like the thing about this film is that it's it's very absurdist, right? Like it really relies heavily on absurdist humor to tell this story. Uh, I have a question for for you, Kyle. Okay. And that is this man, Morgan, he's obsessed with uh, gorillas. Yes. Why gorillas? I know. (laughs) Why is this man obsessed with gorillas? That's what I kept asking the whole time. Like, I was like, but why gorillas? I don't know if it was supposed to be like a representation of like their primal... Like, me, man, you, woman, I want woman, so I take woman. And they kept cutting to King Kong. And so I thought maybe it was, like, the way that she was up in the building having the wedding, and then he shows up in, like, the ape suit, and then he, like, tries to crash the wedding. I think that was supposed to be, like, a representation of, like, following his primal... Which is legit so funny. It's... I actually, I, I, I laughed out loud. This man <laughs> dressed up in a gorilla costume and crashed her wedding by falling from the ceiling and then dunking this man's face, the husband, the new husband's face into the cake and then just terrorizes <laughs> everyone. And it's actually hilarious. Well, I will say um, I wrote, Wedding scene is absolutely insane, but this movie, without a doubt, is the weirdest movie I've ever done for this podcast, but I was never at all bored. Right. It's a strange movie, but it's not a boring movie. And I enjoyed that. Yeah, I think to me, it was just like, it's like 1960s, like, look at all the crazy stuff we can get away with now and look at how provocative we are, but... I, I feel like nowadays when people try to do stuff like this, you can be absurdist, but it's still grounded in something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's still like, oh, I see how this person got there. But this guy's just like zany for the sake of it. Yeah. and Right? Like I don't know what inspires his art, why he's an artist. Why does this mean anything to him? 
You know what I mean? It's just like, nope, this is who he is. And, and you just accept that as an audience member. I think that's just like, you know, a reflection of just how things have changed. Very but, true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of like watching it now, you just have to like accept and like buy into way more than, than you would now. That's true. Um, that it, That is very, very true, which sometimes doesn't make for like a fun viewing experience. Um, just because of the way that we're used to the way that movies are made now. Um, a couple facts. So Alan Moyle planned a remake of this movie with River Phoenix during 1993. Um, wow. Yeah. As he got to know Phoenix better during the production uh, for The Thing Called Love, Moyle decided that the unpredictable actor would be ideal to play Morgan, the husband who becomes unhinged after divorce and goes off on a series of manic adventures dressed in a gorilla suit. At first, River Phoenix was uninterested but changed his mind after a couple of days and became actively involved in um, and became actively involved in it as a future project. But obviously it got no further due to the actor's sudden death in 1993. Mm-hmm. And this film, this I thought was funny. This film is possibly one of the earliest instances of furry fandom. The movement took its nascent steps in 1980s and grew in prominence in the 1990s and 2000s. Uh, <laughs> Morgan says at one point that he has gone, quote, all furry and has a fursona of a giant gorilla. So. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because as I was watching this, I was like, this writer and director have uh, Mm -hmm. quite the kink. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Vanessa Redgrave and Morgan had sex wearing that gorilla suit at least once. At least once. At least once, for sure. Um, and then the ending of the movie was also very strange on brand because he's at a mental institution doing some guard, doing some communist gardening because it's like <laughs> in the shape of the sickle and the and so and then she, and then Vanessa Redgrave comes in and says that she's pregnant and then he's like, "Is it my baby?" And she's like, she doesn't say yes, but she nods yes. And then laughs like an evil villain in these weird stop motion shots between the actors pans out. You see the communism symbol cut fade cut to credits. And you're just like, what the hell did I just watch? Like what the fuck was this movie? What was this performance? I was never bored, but I was often confused. And I thought it was just a strange movie, a strange performance um, and I just thought that it was just so random for Vanessa Redgrave. And, may, you know, maybe the strangeness of the role um, based on, because Vanessa Redgrave is very much a prestige actress. Maybe they were rewarding her for taking such a strange a strange risk. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think this movie is all just about, look at all the strange risks we can take. I think mm-hmm. that's all this movie is really saying. It's not really saying anything about, the world or even about who these people are like it's just that's all it's trying to achieve and it achieves that i like if you're gonna watch this movie like smoke a joint take a nap somewhere in the middle (laughs) (laughs) and you're fine (laughs) and you're fine you know what i mean like i think like the runtime itself isn't long for a movie but i think for this movie it's a little long Personally, I just feel like it kind of it's lacking a little bit for me in the middle. But 
you know, I think if you do that, you'll have a you'll have a fun time with it. Absolutely. Also, this year, I think the longest movie was like two hours, and I'm like, oh, thank God. Yeah, you- these movies cannot be longer. No, they were. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, um, yeah, a very, a very different sort of role for Vanessa Redgrave, and it was kind of interesting seeing her in maybe a little bit more of like a glamorous um, sort of posh uh, role and um, seeing her a little, take some weird risks, but uh, strange movie, not boring, just strange. And that I suppose is the point. Um, Okay. Do you have anything else that you want to add before we move on? No, I'm good. Okay. So let's talk about Georgie girl. Um, Starring Lynn, Gra- starring Lynn Redgrave, her sister. So very quickly, a traditional girl, played by Lynn Redgrave, uh, resists the advance of a swinger, played by James Mason, who wants her as his mistress in 1960s London. And there's kind of like a love triangle thing going on. And then there's sort of like a predatory employer or like her father's employer who's like very predatory toward her, who wants her to be his mistress and... This this movie is like actually kind of insane. I I would say that of all the films this year, this was the one that I enjoyed the most, just as like a film. <laughs> can I can I swear on this podcast? Absolutely. This movie is fucked. Yeah, this it movie really is, is. So fucked. Like it really the plot is. of this movie is fucked. Like like if if somebody tried tried to write this movie today they it it would get thrown out it wouldn't go anywhere like this is a plot line that could have only existed then and existed the way that and be the film that it is because i mean it has that really catchy song at the beginning where i was like oh i know this song like i've heard this song before um yeah, this movie's fucked, but anyway, keep going. Well, I okay, so then so the to the two points that you just said. So Lynn Redgrave in an interview with Leonard Probst said that she thought that her character in this movie was, quote, very ruthless. Most people saw her as a sweet softie. She said, I don't think that she was soft at all. She was manipulating and very shrewd. People loved her, I think, because they reconciled their own terrible because they reconciled with their own terrible faults and were glad to see them put up on the screen. And I would very much agree with that because there were there were moments where you're like, oh, like you're a good friend. And then she would basically be like having some sort of a relationship or she would be engaging in a in an affair with Charlotte Rampling's like baby daddy. And then you're like, hey, girl, like that's your best friend. And like, that's fucked. And um Okay, so the other fact. Okay, so Tom Springfield, the co-writer of the title song, Georgie Girl. Hey there, Georgie Girl. Is the brother of 1960s pop singer Dusty Springfield. The song was sung to parodied lyrics in The Simpsons Season 4, Episode 4, Lisa the Beauty Queen, and Season 13, Episode 10, Half Decent Proposal, which takes place in the fictional town of Springfield. Lynn Redgrave, who played the title character in this movie, was still alive at the time when these episodes aired. And I know the song Georgie Girl because Homer sings it where he's like, hey there, blimpy boy, flying in the sky, so fancy free. <laughs> That's probably why I know it, too. Yeah, oh I was God. like, the sounds so far. I'm like, I know this song, but yeah, that's so yeah that that because you made a point about um her just being awful and then the song so those were the two 
um, facts that I I I, I think I every single person in this movie is awful. Everyone. I mean, Charlotte. So it's like, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. So like, Lynn is propos Georgie is propositioned by this man who I believe isn't just her father's like business partner, but like had a hand in like raising her. Like he's been like an uncle like figure to her. Right. Cause there's this scene when they're in this, like, I don't know, like this backroom closet or something. And then he's talking about like how I've known you for so long and blah, blah, blah. And he's just like very forthcoming and he wants, like she wants nothing to do with him, but obviously he doesn't stop because no one took no for an answer in 1960, whatever. And then then she has these like two friends who are a couple, but she's in love with like the boyfriend. And then the girlfriend is like extremely like superficial. So the film positions it like, it's okay if they have an affair because she's a terrible person and whatever. But then it's like, well, that makes everyone terrible. And then and then they have a baby and like nobody wants to take care of the baby mm-hmm. except for like nobody wants to even acknowledge this baby exists except for Georgie. And then she just like uses this old man to like pay for all their stuff. And every everyone's terrible. Also, like this movie uh, tries to frame Georgie as fat and ugly. Mm-hmm. And it's like crazy that anyone that this man would fall in love with her. Right. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that's that's very, very true. I did enjoy the way that the casting choice for this movie, because I think that this actually was originally offered to Vanessa Redgrave. Um, and also her mother, uh, uh, Lynn Redgrave, was... Her mom's also named Lynn? Lynn's mother, Rachel Kempson played Mason's bedridden wife, Ellen. So even her mom, this is very much like a family affair situation. They're like, okay, Vanessa is not uh, available. Let's get Lynn in here. And so she did. Uh, But um, I did enjoy the way that they didn't cast like this glamorous movie star kind of girl, like where, you know, it's almost like that miscongeniality thing where it's like just to make you seem unattractive. They just like give you a bad haircut and glasses and then they're like oh she's she's frumpy she's gross and then they just like take off the glasses and like wash her hair and they're like wow you're gorgeous yeah i, I like that um lynn redgrave seemed just more like a real person like she didn't she didn't have this super glamorous look and that was something that i appreciated very much about the film where charlotte mm-hmm. rampling like her roommate that has the baby that like rejects the baby inexplicably but whatever um I- i'm glad that they didn't go with somebody like that um not to say that she's like a beast. Like I'm, I'm agreeing with what you're saying, but I also just, <laughs> I, I also just like that she wasn't this like cover, cover model, like super, like Elizabeth Taylor, gorgeous kind of glam. Um, she, she seemed more relatable and realistic to me. Um, even just like at the beginning, like whenever she had that like fancy hairdo, um, to seem more glamorous, and then she ends up just dunking it in, um, the water to, to honor her more. Uh, um, low maintenance sensibilities because it just doesn't suit her. I think that was a really good way of sort of demonstrating like who her character is um, and how she's just kind of like low maintenance. And I, I liked that 
about her and I mm-hmm. I believed it. Also, Lynn Redgrave in Gods and Monsters is amazing and probably should have won that Best Supporting Actress um, mm. Oscar. Uh, but I think that was the year Angelina Jolie won. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, Lynn Redgrave is an amazing, amazing actress. And um, I actually really enjoyed this movie and I, I, I enjoyed her in it. But you're absolutely right in saying that like she's... Everybody in this movie is just garbage, like just human, human garbage. Yeah. And I think that's just like, I don't. Okay, Kyle, did you laugh during this movie? Because I didn't. Because <laughs> this is supposed to be a comedy and like, you know, I'm sure everyone loved it at the time, but I was just like, none of these lines are really landing for me, you know? It's so funny the way that comedy uh, like doesn't you wonder you watch it and you kind of think like was this like getting a round of applause like in terms of laughter like back in the 1960s because yeah it humor obviously changes and it and, and it evolves but no I didn't find this movie particularly funny. Yeah, I was just like, man, am I the only one that doesn't find this funny because it just isn't, man. It really isn't. I mean, I really wanted to find this movie funny, like especially like the opening sequence with that song. It really grabs you, you know, like like she's walking and then she goes to this hair salon and they like want to do they want to, you know, give her the status quo makeover and she doesn't want anything to do with it. And then she runs into some disgusting public washroom and like just dunks her hair in the sink and goes, oh, there we go. All better. So like the opening sequence is like, oh, this is fun. Yes. You know, and then it just kind of isn't after that. It's just a bunch of silly people just it, being silly. Like, I just felt like everyone was just being over the top. Like, you know, when people try to be, how do I describe this? Okay. This happens on drag race a lot. Okay. So like, you'll get a contestant who like is not a comedian at all. And they're just doing things that they think are funny, but they're not, but they're not thinking about what actually makes them laugh. Right. Like they're just trying way too hard. Yeah. Like this guy is just like hopping over things and waving at the boat all silly. And it's just like, am I supposed to find this funny? Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I just, I just don't, I I will give, I will give Lynn credit for, I do think this is a very physical role. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like she's attempting a lot of physical comedy in this role, which I'm sure was successful at the time. So I do think she's doing a lot in the movie, but I just, man, none of those jokes are landing for me. Well, just to compare her to uh, Vanessa Redgrave in Morgan, it's like, I feel like Lynn Redgrave was the lead actress. The story is about her. I realize that she's the title character, um, but I'm just saying like, she had more to do in this movie. Like remember whenever she like crashes that party of her, um, employer james mason and 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 they're having this big lavish party and she she gets like really wasted and starts like singing and she's like embarrassing herself in front of her father and in front of all the guests and stuff like that but like james mason like doesn't stop it um i think that that was a supposed to be like a comedic moment and um i think that she acts uh that scene very very well it's sort of like this obnoxious Mm. jazz performance um Mm -hmm. what was it was it was being a whole lot of woman and needing a whole lot of man. Um, so I guess that yeah. would be like, I mean, I'm not laughing, but I, I think that that awkward situation was supposed to be one of the comedic moments. Um, and mm-hmm. 
I also uh, kind of liked the way that James Mason as like the employer was like coming on to her and asking her to be his mistress because I loved how wildly inappropriate it was <laughs> and how shocking that was. I, because uh, like you said, like this, you would, we wouldn't make something like that now unless he would be a villain. Well, you know? yeah. And I, and I don't think that was meant to be shocking at the time. Right. Right. Like, I think that was just co more commonplace and more normal. And I wonder if back then, if a certain percentage of the population was even rooting for him mm -hmm. to succeed in all of this, because uh, spoiler alert, uh, they sort of end up together at the end. They get married. She marries this rich old man. And then they kind of it's sort of like, a, oh, my God, what's that movie? The Graduate. It's kind of like the graduate ending where like they, they do this spontaneous thing and then they're sitting together and they're like, okay, uh, what now? You know, <laughs> it's kind of that sort of ending where they're like, they're in the car and maybe, the, maybe the graduate was inspired by this movie. You know, you never know. They're sitting in the car and, and then this old man sees that like, oh, she's just kind of more interested in the baby who she just has now by the way yes because the other couple just decided they didn't feel like having this baby anymore i don't know if we're supposed to find that funny or not um <laughs> and then and then georgie's just interested in being a mom and she doesn't care about this guy at all and she's just kind of using him to uh get what she wants so yeah i mean i don't know who we were supposed to root for i guess georgie <laughs> I mean, the, the film makes her seem like she's great and she's sweet and, you know, we don't care. We don't care that she's ugly and fat because she's so sweet and cool. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> that was 100% the tone. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess to the fact that she like takes um, Sarah, the baby. And so you're like, oh my God, like you're such a martyr. Like you're such a wonderful human being. So yeah, you can just marry some guy and use him for his money. Like, I guess that was the like outro to the movie. Um, also, I I found it odd that Joss, the, the, the baby daddy, um, the way that they kind of part ways, it's just because like he can't be the man that Georgie needs. And then he just, simply abandons her and um i like the way that their breakup he can't eat he, he he's so selfish that he like has to make her laugh like even on the exit and like get a smile from her even though he's fully abandoning her and this child that and his child yeah. yeah that does that doesn't even belong to her so it's just another example of just people being super gross in this movie but um I don't know of all the characters and like of all the movies, like this was probably the one that I enjoyed the most. And um, I really like Lynn Redgrave as an actress and uh, I don't see her as like a good person. I would agree with the way that Lynn Redgrave talked about her character in that interview. Um, very manipulative and sort of self-serving. Um, and for me, that just kind of made for an interesting uh, movie and, and an interesting sort of role, but there were definitely parts of this movie that dragged. Yeah, I think if you are like, you love romantic comedies, because to me, she's kind of an OG manic pixie dream girl. Right. <laughs> In a lot of ways, right? Like she's kind of like an early version of that trope. So if you're a huge fan of that trope, seeing the history of that, I think is kind of cool. Um, and I think 
her embodying that before i don't think that trope fully fully existed that not in the manic pixie sort of way and so you know she's giving that her all like i said it is a physical performance there are you know it's not horrible but again look if you just want to smoke a joint and have a nap in the middle same thing with this movie (laughs) honestly like you won't miss anything (laughs) Okay, well, I guess that's a great way. And I to... didn't, I didn't do that for the record. It's like I'm just filled with regret. Just so <laughs> that if yeah, if this year had a fragrance, it would be regret. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, do you have anything else that you would like to add to Lynn Redgrave's performance before we move on? No, I'm good. Hey, best actress listeners, enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning ad-free by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe. Okay, this one is going to be a short and sweet one uh, because uh-huh. there's, real, there's really not much going on here. Let's talk about Ida Kaminska in The Shop on Main Street. Uh, this is a Czechoslovakian film um, about the, Arianiz- the Arianization during World War II in a Slovak state and a carpenter in the fascist Slovak state is appointed Aryan controller of a Jewish widow's store. Ida Kaminska is the old Jewish widow. You can actually watch this movie on YouTube. I actually loved this movie. I, uh, I'm a fan of foreign language films and this one I very, very much enjoyed, um, is what I'm going to say to start, but then (laughs) I will say that Ida Kaminska's confused 22nd performance landing a best actress Oscar nomination is the definition of bullshit. If she were to go in supporting, that would be fine. I know I talk about this all the time on the podcast and I need to get over it and move on with my life. But this (laughs) is literally a perfect example of category fraud. And Mm -hmm. I was shocked when I saw that she was nominated for a lead. There is there is literally no growth or change or honestly really depth to this character. She has no idea what's going on the entire performance and the entire film. The one thing that you do feel for her is extreme sympathy because she is Jewish and they're forcing her out of her town and she's losing her business. But this whole entire movie is uh, really just about the main character, the carpenter, uh, and she's barely in this film. And then when she finally realizes what's going on after like an hour and 10 minutes, because the entire time she's deaf and she, she has a uh, vision problems. So she genuinely, it's just a confused huh? performance, the entire film until the very end when she kind of pieces it together. And then the carpenter, when attempting to hide her from the Nazis accidentally kills her. 
And then so we don't see any change or growth in the characters. So this performance to me was so random and a lead actress category. And uh, I, I very much enjoyed this film. I just found this nomination extremely confusing. Uh, what did you think, Catherine? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay, so uh, what I like about this film is obviously it's a it's very important in its historical context right like we're talking yes. about you know world war ii and you know jewish people being uh moved out of i believe this is in slovakia uh it is shot in the slovak city of sabinov yes and so from a historical context it's very important what i also like about the movie is that it's about the anxiety in the anticipation of the Nazis arrival rather than the event itself, which I thought was super interesting. Cause I don't know how many movies make that the primary focus. Right. You know what I mean? So, so that I really, really appreciated. What I did not appreciate was the inconsistency of how deaf is she? Yeah. <laughs> It is actually so brutal that I think it's insulting to people who are hearing impaired (laughs) Uh, because it's like one minute she just has no fucking clue what's happening. And then the next minute she's just fully running her store and she's interacting with customers and this, that, and the other. Buying a goose. (laughs) buying Buying a goose, like just doing all this stuff. And it's like there's moments in this movie where she can completely take care of herself and she's fully independent, no problem. And then when the carpenter, Tony is like, do you understand what's going on here? She's like, yeah, I know. And and it doesn't like, if the film did that, like, Oh, this is a defense mechanism for her. She doesn't want to let on that. She actually knows what's happening because of X, Y, Z. That would be different. That would be like so compelling. You know, but it doesn't do that. It doesn't add that layer at all. So it's just, it's actually, I I mean, I hate to say it, but it's kind of a bad performance because she's so inconsistent with what she can and cannot understand. And I guess back then you get away with not portraying a deaf person with any ounce of accuracy or someone who's slightly inconsistently vision impaired with um you know with zero accuracy but there's zero accuracy taken or thought put into that part of her performance yet there is so much thought and compassion and accuracy put into the actual storyline of these nazis coming in and taking jewish businesses away before they take these people out of their towns so it's just very interesting where the compassion lies and doesn't lie in this film Mm -hmm. um super important for historical context i mean even the lack of consideration for how deaf she is or isn't is super important for historical context i think yeah um but I agree. This is a shocking Best Actress nomination. I was curious if maybe it was just a career nomination mm. because I believe she's like, I was reading a little bit on her Wikipedia that she's very like accomplished, like in the stage and theater. And she's even like directed things. And 
has like a storied career. So I wonder if this is just one of those, let's throw her a career nomination, but just the performance itself really has no business in the category. I agree with like literally every single thing that you said, and you, you really summarized it very, very well because you're right. I thought because the, um, uh, the hearing issues and the the vision issues. It was so inconsistent because it only seemed to be with him, the main character, the carpenter, mm-hmm. where, yeah, like whenever she was having all those interactions at the market with her friends, with uh, the business, uh, and they'd be like, I need a 8AB cross-stitch pattern in blue color. She's like, no problem. You're like, what? How, what are you talking? Like, how could you, because two seconds ago, he's like, you need to hide because they're trying to kill you. And she's like, huh? And you're like, I thought the twist was going to be that like, she actually is not deaf because, because it was so inconsistent. I thought yes. that it was going to be like yeah. that she was fucking with him. And yeah. then she was like, I fully understand that what's going on with the, with the Nazis and the, the Aryanization and I'm just playing dumb because I'm just the old, this this uh, sympathetic character, this this poor old lady. But I actually am extremely calculated and cunning. And I'm like, oh my god, that's so brilliant. And then in the end, it actually wasn't that at all. And then he accidentally oh. kills her. I'm like, what in God's name is this? What the is- ending is so brutal. Like, what? Okay, like first of all, why? I know he, he kills why? himself. Just, yeah. Why? Like. <laughs> Why would you choose to end this movie this way that he accidentally he's trying to save her life by shoving her in a closet and hiding her from these Nazis and then she falls and dies? Why? And then like, okay, here's the here's the thing here. Here's the thing that I think is a bit controversial about this film, because it's about you know, these Nazis coming into the town and taking over. But it's from the point of view of someone who is you know, Aryan and Aryan enough that they accept him. Right. Mm. And it's not from the point of view of a Jewish person. Right. So it's from the point of view of an Aryan and essentially, you know, what we would refer to now as white guilt. This whole movie is white guilt. That's so true. And so it's just like, why is, why is he the one to tell this story? That is the question people would ask now. Mm-hmm. Why is he the one to tell this story? I don't know the answer to that watching this. I mean, he's a very interesting character. I think it's well performed by him. I think the actor that plays this carpenter is he's really amazing. good. Yeah, he's, he's very good. He's amazing in the role. But it's just like, I just don't know why he's the one to tell this story. And then when you go back to the continuity issues, they're literally building a gigantic monument in the middle of this town for the nazis how does this literally right outside her store how does she not notice that Mm -hmm. like i just don't buy that she was so clueless that she didn't know and this aryan drunk was the only one just don't get it. Anyway, I said a lot. I'm sorry. No, that is every single thing that you said. I completely, I completely agree with. And I also did wonder, I'm like, okay, so the sympathy is for the, uh, the Aryan guy that's being part of this Aryanization. And it's like, I feel more bad for the the Jewish woman than I do for, for. Yeah. And he's like the only, he's painted as the only one with a guilty conscience 
about what's happening around him. Like everyone else is just going with it. Oh, and also I would, yeah, yeah well, go I was going to say, I would like to point out that this movie actually won best foreign language film at the 1966 Oscars. And she mm. was nominated a year after this movie had already won. Oh, why is that? It happened a lot um, for some really weird reason. Even um, so, A Man and a Woman, the next movie that we're going to talk about there, that French one, mm -hmm. that one won Best Foreign Language Film that year in 1967. And then uh, Ida Kaminska being nominated for a movie that came out a year before. It's so strange. And it's funny because when I wrote this down here, whenever... Uh, um, Ingrid Bergman won her third Oscar for The Murder on the Orient Express. She made a similar point because she she didn't think that she was going to win because she thought that Valentina Cortese should have won uh, for this uh, movie. Uh, where did, What was this movie called? Um, called, oh dear God. She should have, okay, well, there was a French movie that we, we talked about on this podcast. It was the year that... Um, we did Nashville with uh, Lily Lily Tomlin, and uh, it 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 was just a thing where if a film was released like a year before, if it was a foreign, it's all about the 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 qualifications of like why you can or cannot do it. But this exact same thing happened with Valentina Cortese, who Ingrid Bergman actually made a point during her Oscar acceptance speech, being like, I don't even understand how I won this Oscar. It should have been Valentina Cortese. And I also don't understand how she's nominated this year when the movie that she's nominated for won Best Foreign Language Film the year before. Oh, wow. So this is like a common practice. I, yeah, su super random. And anyway, that, that had nothing to do with the point that you were you were talking about. I just wanted to I just wanted to mention that. But anyway, please. Sorry, I fully interrupted you. Continue. <laughs> No, I don't even know what I was saying now. Well, the thing is, is there's not really much to say because the thing is, is that this movie <laughs> is completely about Tony and uh, it's about him. And if he got a lead actor nomination, I'd be like, yeah, because I actually really liked this movie. I just found it shocking that she was nominated for Best Actress and the inconsistency of the of being like hard of hearing or, or not being able to see it only seemed to exist with Tony and with everybody else. She was perfectly able bodied. So I just... It was an inconsistent performance. It was like a five-minute performance. And um, the only real acting that you see from her is the panic when she somewhat understands what's going on. And then she kind of gets accidentally killed like two seconds later. So I, I mm. just, um, her nominee, maybe it was a career mo a career Oscar nominee, maybe. Uh, but for me, it's I the just... the only way I could explain it. Yeah, exactly. It's the only way that you can explain it. Because this nomination to me is just confusing. Mm -hmm. Agreed. But I liked the movie. <laughs> I actually really liked the movie. Just this nomination makes no sense. For, yeah, it, for historical purposes, I think this movie is, is worth watching. And it's on YouTube, so anybody... Mm -hmm. Okay, well, do you have anything else that you want to say before we move on? Okay, let's talk about Anouk Aimé in A Man and a Woman. This is a French film. A widow and a widower find their relationship developing into love, but their past tragedies prove hard to overcome, causing them to proceed with utmost delicacy. So um, she won the BAFTA for Best Foreign Actress. Um, I will say that this film is beautifully shot. I love the cinematography. 
um, especially for this time period. It wasn't actually even nominated for Best Cinematography, which I thought was that's, kind of weird. That's wild, actually. I Because I, I, it's really the only thing that made sense Probably for Probably some movie. of the best cinematography of the decade. Absolutely. It was so so gorgeously shot and honestly that's really all that i have to say positively about this film i had such high expectations coming into this because um this film was seen by joe and jill biden on their very first date um during his oh december my God. i know during his december 2022 state visit to the united states president uh president macron of france gifted biden's an original vinyl press of the film soundtrack um, this is John Travolta's favorite movie. And um, just as a side note, the black and white part of this film was actually not intended for artistic purposes, but it was actually due to a lack of money. It was the only way that Lelouch could. Um, oh, my God. That makes so much sense. OK, I was going to point that out. Yeah. Like if it was a device. No, it was just a it was just a funding thing. Um, but anyway, uh, so I came into this movie. Because uh, Anouk Ame, this is the first thing I've ever seen her, and she's stunning. Um, I love French uh, foreign language film. I love French films, um, and so I was like, "Oh, it's a it's a romance." Like I'm in. Like I'm so into this movie. And the beginning, it really has your attention. They meet. Uh, they're both widowers, and they have kids, and they go on their first date by about like thirty minutes, forty minutes into the movie, and then it is followed by these race car fever dream <laughs> intercuts that go on inexplicably for like 20 minutes and then we get back to some dialogue and then it's followed by more cutscenes of cars i understand it's a metaphor but like i got it like i don't Is need it to a metaphor what's it a metaphor for i think because it's... one of them dies in a crash i think it's it has to do with like because her ex husband father of child was a stunt man and this type of driving it's like the risk of getting into a new relationship with someone and because oh. it's like you know and the risk represents like this high risk vehicle and 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 occupation and so it's like a metaphor for like the relationship and the journey that they're taking to get there and and will the car crash or will it succeed or at least that's how i interpreted it but like for the love of god they were just shoving that down our throats for like I must have checked out and just sat on my phone for like these 20 minutes and I did not miss an ounce of dialogue. Like, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I was like, I had, it had such a strong open and then it just, boom, it just totally flatlined for me and I just didn't care. And then they finally like hook up near the end and at this point i just don't really care anymore she says i can't do this because i can't stop thinking about my dead husband um and then i was confused because he was like oh he's not dead and they meant like metaphorically she gets on a train leaves and then he drives to where the train station is going to be to meet her and then in the end they get together inexplicably after she said that she simply didn't want to and there's a lot of inner dialogue going on that i thought wasn't very successful which led to them eventually getting together and i didn't really buy it and also to Anouk Emea's performance, I don't really know if they're really asking a lot from her in this performance and in this role. And uh, I just, I was so excited for this movie. And frankly, I was kind of just a little let down. Anyway, what did you think of the film? And what did you think of this performance? 
I I love the idea of this story, mm-hmm. right? Like these two people who are widows who have children around the same age, essentially trauma bonding, right? And mm-hmm. trying to come together and you know form a relationship, but it's hard to form a, this relationship because you know they've been through a very difficult experience and they're both grieving in their own way. That storyline in and of itself has so much potential. I agree. And this movie uses none of that potential. (laughs) It won Best Original Screenplay, and I'm like, get out of here. Which is so wild to me. There's so, I mean, like, okay, the fact that it won Best Screenplay and wasn't even nominated for cinematography is like, I, I just can't even wrap my head around that at all. The only reason to watch this movie today is for the cinematography it's stunning absolutely it is a beautiful film and 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 i just feel like i like i liked the moment at the end where they're like making love and then she's like wait actually i'm not ready to move on like i still you know am thinking about my my dead husband and and stuff like that and then because it's 1960, whatever, no, no man takes no for an answer. So that, that right. theme follows through, but that moment in itself is like really vulnerable. And I think is like, so interesting. And I just wish the movie was more of that mm-hmm. than all these like car racing scenes that are again, beautifully shot, but there's just so many of them. Like, obviously this director and the cinematographer were just so in love with the way things looked. That it's 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 a lot of you know the movie ends up lacking substance, and I think her performance is in some moments good, and then in some moments it's really flat. But like you said, I don't think they're asking anything more of her. Mm-hmm. And also, um, for the love of God, this entire movie was like they would have I, I don't know like a minute of dialogue. And then it would transition to 20 minutes of race car scenes, uh, mm-hmm. scenes to the theme song of da, ba, da, 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 da. Yes. Da, 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 da. And then, okay, fine. And then that ends. And then another scene of dialogue and then more race car scenes to da, 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 da. This movie became so repetitive. And then, they're on the train at the end and he's racing to get to the train station to meet her so that he can, you know, in this big grand gesture, win, win her over followed by like it got so annoying. I was like, Oh my, can we just let's switch up once and let's get Georgie girl in here real quick. Like let's switch this up because, and then for the rest of the fucking day, I kept walking around my apartment, driving my boyfriend crazy, just going. Like I couldn't get it out of my head. That was really the only thing I enjoyed about this movie was that soundtrack. Cause it's just so catchy. But yeah, it, it, it was so repetitive. I, I just I found this nomination very confusing and I just don't really think, yeah, like that they're asking um, enough of her. I'm sure she's probably a very good actress. I just I don't see it. I don't see the nomination. Yeah. It's more of a director's issue. But like, you know, with all these car tracing, chasing um, or racing, I should say, scenes, um, you know, in the movie Brokeback Mountain, 
my only like criticism of that well not my only criticism but one of my only criticisms <laughs> of that movie is uh it's like at one point you're just like i get it we're in the mountains like there's just so many shots of just mountains right as like segues in between each movie where you're like we could cut 20 minutes out of this movie <laughs> if we just took out some of these mountain shots right but they just fell in love with like showing us like, oh my God, these mountains, they're so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like what this movie was to me with all these car racing scenes. It's too much. Yeah, absolutely. It's too much, you know? And it's like, if we just cut some of that out, if you if they had cut some of that out, they might've had some color film stock left. <laughs> that's so true. And they could have finished this film in color. That was like, that was so puzzling to me because I thought it was like an interesting artistic choice that it goes from color to black and white, et cetera, et cetera. But then I was like, there's no sort of rhyme or reason to it. Like, it isn't like, oh, like when we're in black and white, like this is a romantic scene. This is a whatever scene. And then when it's color, it's the cars or like, like, I don't know. Like I was trying to piece it together and I was like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, the also, fact that they just ran out of film stock makes sense because <laughs> it but, was just a missed opportunity to not make that more meaningful. But also like what, I, I I literally did not write down a single thing about her performance. Like, I'm like, wh what was like a moment no. that she had that was mem Do you know what the most memorable thing from this movie, other than da -da 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 -da, <laughs> was um, uh, his son that could speak like three languages very well, by the way. I was like, because I can yeah. barely speak one language, you know? And I, yeah. I remember being like, wow, like, you know, in, in Europe, that, that's such a thing. And I was like, wow, that was my one takeaway from this movie. It had nothing to do with her or this performance or anything about this movie. I, I remember just being like, oh, wow, that's that's really that's really cool. That's really impressive. I just, this movie did nothing for me. And um, maybe it's just because it, it was made during a different time. So maybe there's something that like we're not connecting with and we're not getting that maybe clearly audiences were latching onto at the time. Um, but again, I, just like uh, Ida Kaminska's nomination, I, I find it to be um, kind of random and, and and a little strange that she was nominated for a Best Actress Oscar. Yeah, must have been a weak year. I mean, again, like, yeah, like, I have to agree with you. Like, I, I just, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of, like, huh, going on this year. Like, I don't know. Okay, well, anyway, just for time's sake, I think we should probably move on. But do you have anything else that you would like to add to Anouk Emma's performance before we move on? No, I'm good. Okay, so let's talk about our winner, Elizabeth Taylor in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. So very quickly, a bitter, and when we say bitter, we mean bitter, aging, <laughs> aging couple with the help of alcohol use their young house guests to fuel anguish and emotional pain towards each other over the course of a distressing night. Also, uh, it, it, this movie is just uh, two very toxic couples meeting together uh, and it's just like a climax of all of the things that they hate about each other. And it's uh, a drinking problem. And it's also a lot of verbal abuse. And uh, um, it's clearly based on a play. Um, I have tried to watch this movie before. And I think I lasted past the part where Elizabeth Taylor kept quoting Betty Davis from uh, Beyond the Forest saying, what a dump. And uh, fun <laughs> I, la I lasted about that long the last time because I was like, what, what the hell is this? Uh, but um, 
what was I going to say about the actual credit to uh, that? So whenever she kept saying, what a dump that at the time, Betty Davis was doing a one woman show around the world. And the way that uh, Betty Davis says um, that line in beyond the forest, she literally just says, what a dump. But then because Elizabeth Taylor made it so famous again, or it wasn't even really that famous of a line, but because Elizabeth Taylor made it so famous from this movie, um, Betty Davis actually had to change the way that she said it on her one woman show world tour. She opened every single show saying it the way that Elizabeth Taylor said it because Elizabeth Taylor made it so popular. But in actuality, the line was never said like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I just wanted to see that the last time and the first time that I watched this movie. And then once I got past that point, I'm like, I'm good. This movie seems very tedious. And oh boy, oh boy, was it ever. You have, don't get me wrong though, this, the acting is incredible on Mm. everyone's part. And I would never take that away from it. It's just, for me, this movie was extremely tedious um, because it was just, a fight followed by a moment of, oh, they do like each other, but in their own toxic, abusive way. But they were just, I always say that the 1960s is one giant cup of whiskey. And this movie is the personification of that statement because they must have had like eight bottles of liquor and they were fine. The only one... Uh, that was not fine was Sandy Dennis, who was actually the only person that was actually acting drunk. Everybody else was kind of mm, like, I think, and that's, I, I get, I get, I understand that that was a choice. It's just that, honey, if I had a one bottle of liquor, I would be throwing up and passed out on the fucking floor. Uh, so that kind of part took me out of it a little bit, but it's, this movie is just one giant fight. And uh, I had to watch this movie in three parts because I found it so boring. Um, And I didn't find any of the characters very compelling. I would say that Elizabeth Taylor is kind of acting circles around everybody. Richard Burton um, has really wonderful monologues. Um, I I understand why- They were married when they made this film, right? I have, oh God, I have no idea. I know that she had like- Yeah, I think they were married when they made this film. Towards the end of their marriage, I think. Well, this movie became the first movie in Academy Award history and cinema history to be nominated for every Academy Award category that it was eligible for, including Best Adapted Screenplay, Director, all acting categories, uh, and all acting acting categories. Uh, This was the last movie to win the Oscar for Black and White Cinematography. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor was only 33. It won cinematography. <laughs> Over uh, a man and a woman, yeah. Wow, that's that's robbed. That is, I That agree. is robbery. I, I think the cinematography is the least interesting thing about this movie. I agree with you. Um, wow. Elizabeth Taylor was 33 when she made this movie, but they made her character, uh, they aged her to look 52, and every credited member of the cast received an Academy Award nomination. So that is my piece um, Catherine, what did you think of the movie and what did you think of the performance? Um, I think this is like the four, and I mean this as a compliment. I think these are the four worst drunks I've ever seen on film. <laughs> uh, I really, I think these are the, like, these are the last people you want to be drunk with. And right. I think they did a great job of that. 
when I was watching Elizabeth Taylor, I actually thought like this would be a really fun character to play. Like it would be really fun to play this like drunken woman who, like you said, bitter and who is just letting everyone have it, you know, like just isn't holding back at all. It's just telling everyone what they think. And I, I also like about the movie that the young couple have their own toxicities and you could see that like they're on a path to becoming this couple. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's kind of like a mirroring of like the old and the young, like, like this is who they're kind of destined to be together. And I, it's just, I think it's a little bit nauseating in that it's just one argument after another, after another, Mm -hmm. which is what I assume the stage play is. But I agree for our, modern day attention spans and maybe even to some degree back then is just hard to watch but i do think the acting performances by all four are just absolutely incredible they really are and i loved whenever um elizabeth taylor would have these moments of clarity like whenever she's um in the kitchen and she's blowing smoke out onto the porch and she's talking about um, how everybody was so sad for her and and George because they couldn't have kids. And they kept like sort of hinting at that until mm. um, the announcement of her son's death, which was a very soap opera moment. And I thought it was really weird that Richard Burton said it in such a unemotional way. I'm like, that's your, 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 your son. Like, why, why are you not emotional? And then you find out, you know, they never had a son. And then, uh, the way that Elizabeth Taylor sort of has that that uh, that monologue, and um, I, I really just think like she is acting circles around everybody in this movie. Not to say that people they weren't holding their own, like they, but mm-hmm. truly this movie was like wow. Like I totally understand why everybody uh, says that this is one of the greatest acting performances. I just wish that the movie was more watchable because I went into this with such high hopes and uh, I am, I am not afraid to say that I was terribly bored through the entire film, the entire movie. I was like, Oh my God. But I believed that these two were married. I believe that they had a history a very, very complicated Toxic history, yeah. Toxic history together. And this is just a typical weekend for them. I believe the reality of it. It, it, she, it wasn't Elizabeth Taylor. Or maybe this is a side to Elizabeth Taylor that we're just not used to seeing. I don't know. Maybe but this was, is just who Elizabeth Taylor is. Yeah, right. Was, you know, you know she, I mean? <laughs> because she played it so effortlessly. And, um, you know, I, I just, I was very, very uh, impressed with the acting i just really did not enjoy this movie like i would never ever watch this movie ever again yeah it's hard to watch i agree and i just think like even like i don't know i think the arguments did have and like the conversations did have some variance but just for our 2023 attention span right it's challenging and this is the only american film in the category Oh, right. That's true. Right, because the Redgrave movies are British, and then we had a French film, and then we had 
in, in Eastern European film, right? And and then we have this film. It's the only American film in the category, and yet it's it's a challenge to watch, which I thought was interesting. But I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that's just because it was a play. But I'll say this, you know, you and I did A Streetcar Named Desire together, and that was a play, and that movie's easier to watch. I mean, I guess it's totally. just more- I guess there's just more going on than just this one argument. Um, You know, that's always sort of hard to translate into film. Many people have tried it, you know, before and since, definitely since. Um, But I think like the, I think the illusion, like this, you find out that they made up a son at the end actually kind of saves it for me <laughs> that makes it that actually saves it for me i'm like that gives this movie a whole other layer than just this disgruntled couple which i appreciated and yeah i do think it's well written i'm not going to say it isn't well written i just think you know for our attention spans for just like i don't know it just may, I think our modern day taste would have this let up a bit. I completely agree with you. And so you kind of do have to consider this piece of work in the context of when it's released, which is why I'm trying to be as fair as possible when kind of talking about the movie. I did also enjoy the way um, she was, you know, really uh, coming on to, uh, what was his name? George Siegel. The way that she was coming on to him and how they, I guess, attempted to have sex at one point, but he was so drunk that he like couldn't get it up. And then she was disappointed with him. And then she's starting to project her disappointment of Richard Burton, like onto him. And then you kind of see yeah, that these, this two young, these, the, these, this younger couple is sort of like on their way. And the whole time I was watching this, I was like, can you imagine like Monday morning seeing each other on campus? <laughs> like, <laughs> so fucking awkward the, the it would be. The whole movie, I was just like, I don't understand why these people don't just go to bed. The <laughs> yeah, whole like, movie, I was like, just go to bed already. It's like, it's like in the middle of the night, it goes from like something like two in the morning till like, till like seven or something. You know what I mean? Like that's the whole span of the movie. And it's just like, just go to bed. (laughs) I didn't understand why they kept insisting on keeping it going. It and I mean, even as the viewer, I was like, okay, I think we could wrap this up. So I agree with you on my time, time for <laughs> some water and bedtime. Absolutely. Cause yeah, I, w- I, I felt so hungover watching this movie. I'm like, Oh, oh I my, my head hurt just watching it. I agree. The liquor, they're just pounding, pounding liquor, drinking and driving, which apparently was like in the 1960s, that season's must have. Uh, there were no accidents though. Oh so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, know. I the amount of drinking and driving was insane. Um, I think like maybe like you know, and again, this is just through my modern day lens. If it were like some sort of weekend retreat that they went on, right, and it was just the four of them in a cabin for some reason, I think that would have been more interesting because then more can happen. And you have the next day and et cetera, et cetera. And then you can draw it out a bit more. So it's like, there are nice times. There are times that aren't good. There are times where like 
somebody does something that's like maybe passive aggressive, but the other person doesn't say anything and then they lash out later. You know what I mean? Because this movie is just like at a hundred. Absolutely. All time. And it's just, it's just a lot. Well, that's the thing is that like, it's so exhausting to watch that. Like you need a breather at one point. You're just like, Oh my God. But it never like will yield or relent in that way. And so that's what makes it so difficult to watch that what is nice is whenever they are outside of that bar that they're at like very briefly and then he like um, Richard Burton like physically attacks her and then they go outside and you know that they're arguing and she goes outside and you just see this incredibly vulnerable um, side to Liz Taylor's character where she's you know, she obviously she's very, very drunk. Her hair is a complete mess. You know, she gets thrown against the car and she just kind of has this kind of tender moment where she's no longer being explosive and antagonistic. Mm. It's like, she's kind of just speaking her truth. And it's like this abusive uh, act of violence that like forces her to get there because who knows, maybe her character thinks that she deserves that. Maybe it's because she's so unhappy Mm. with the way that her life went that whenever these abusive things do happen, that it like allows her to, be herself because she's like, I deserve this. I don't fucking know. But I thought that those nice little tender moments um, when she's like smoking and blowing smoke in the kitchen out onto the porch, whenever she finally admits to herself that her son was never real to begin with because they can't have kids. There were these really nice moments where we did kind of come up for air because it was so difficult to Mm -hmm. watch where you're like, Oh, okay. Thank God. I needed a little bit of a relief from this Mm -hmm. performance. And I I thought that was very necessary to the character. And those were kind of some of my favorite moments when we did kind of like um, have a break from just these constant attacks and fights and stuff like that. Um, But to 100% credit to the performance because it was so difficult to watch. I think that is heavily reliant on how good the performance is. Yeah, I agree. And and like you said earlier, they were a very believable couple, but also like just so believable in like the length of this abusive relationship. Yes. Right? Like you, you like it felt like this is just commonplace for this couple. Like this is just who they are and what they do. Which oh, I... is not e- which is not easy. No. No. Um but oof, yeah, this 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 movie truly was a, a, a bit of a, a chore. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Um, oh, okay. The, but just, do, do you have anything else that you want to add to the film or to, uh, Elizabeth Taylor's performance before we pick who we think should have won? No, I'm good. Okay. So Catherine Niker, you are my guest of honor. Please reveal who you think that the Oscar should have gone to. I think the Oscar should have gone to... Elizabeth Taylor for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I think it is a great performance. Is it one of the greatest performances ever? I just don't think I've watched enough movies, but it's a phenomenal performance. And honestly, she really just didn't even have any competition this year. Like (laughs) (laughs) like we did a year where, you know, when we did Sophie's Choice and obviously like that's probably one one of the greatest, if not the greatest like female acting performances of all time. There's a lot of great movies in that category. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That would have won in different years. But this year, I mean, you know, they were struggling to find five other actresses to even be here. I know what you mean. And to be honest with you, like, um, it's so interesting the way that 
Elizabeth Taylor is even in the same category as the rest of them. I know, I know. You're like, really? Um, they should have given her a nomination for Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. That's right. Yeah. And then given her the Oscar for, I don't know which act, 2 or 3, I guess. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so, all right. <laughs> and, the, and the Oscar goes to Elizabeth Taylor, Act 3. <laughs> She's like, oh, Virginia Oh, that's funny. Okay, um, so I think that the Oscar should have gone to... Elizabeth Taylor for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I don't really think it's really much of a question here. Um, Lynn Redgrave uh, in Georgie Girl was my favorite movie of the bunch. And I loved her performance. And I also kind of just loved how manipulative and borderline awful she was. Um, and she is easily my runner up. But like we were, um, like you were saying, uh, the fact that Anouk M.A., Ida Kaminska, and honestly, even Vanessa Redgrave were nominated for Best Actress, I find that to be almost insulting to Elizabeth Taylor because it's like they're just not even on the same playing field as far as I'm no. concerned. It's like the the minor leagues versus the major leagues. It's just really mm -hmm. what it comes down to in my mind. And um, I really did not enjoy this film, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but I fully understand why she won. And I fully understand why people regard this as such a wonderful performance because it is an amazing performance. It's uh, very layered. It's very difficult to watch. It's a credit to Elizabeth Taylor. She She's acting circles around everybody, uh, but this is not a movie that I enjoyed very much, and it's not a movie that I will ever be watching again. But in terms of who deserved that Oscar, I really don't think it's much, much of a question or much of a competition here. It's clearly Elizabeth Taylor in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Though, anybody, if you have not seen Georgia Girl, I recommend giving it a watch. I, I thought it was a lot of fun, and I, I did enjoy it. Also, uh, the, uh, the, the film The Shop on Main Street, the foreign language film is also an amazing film it's just don't watch it for Ida Kaminska because she's barely I don't even think she knows she's in that film like that's how little <laughs> she is in that film but it is a, a wonderful wonderful foreign language film anyway uh that those are my thoughts so um that concludes another episode of best actress Catherine where can people find you on social media uh, yes, thank you for having me. Uh, you can find me on social media at it's me underscore Catherine, spelled C-A-T-H-R-Y-N. And I always enjoy this. No, oh, we always love having you. And uh, we'll have to have you back again. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Did you enjoy the show? Want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe, and I will see you all at Howard's Inn.